Punk's not dead, and neither is New Wave. Join Buzz and Ben on Static Rage, the Punk and New Wave album review podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to Static Rage. I'm Ben, with me as always is Buzz. It is a nice, chilly October day here in the city by the Great Lakes, in which I reside. How are you doing, Buzz? I'm doing wonderful, man. It's actually feel, finally feels like October. It's very cool outside. It feels like Halloween's right around the corner, and of course it is. And uh, I would normally say I might have a case of the chills, but I think tonight I'm going to say I have a case of the cramps. <laughs> well, I think my calf is getting ready to cramp, although that is unrelated. But yes, the album that we are reviewing in today's recording session is the debut album by the cramps, Songs the Lord Taught Us. Released in 1980, I don't have the exact date on IRS Records. Has a runtime of 37 minutes and 53 seconds. Produced by Alex Chilton. The Cramps were the Lux Interior on vocals, Poison Ivy Rorschach on guitars, Brian Gregory on guitar, and Nick Knox on drums. They did have Booker C come in and play the organ, specifically on the track Fever. So, yeah. So for those that perhaps have never heard of this band before, which hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, you have, but in the off chance that you're not, uh, what we have tonight is it's kind of interesting. Um, a lot of people term this band as a punk band. I've heard them described as psychobilly. Uh, I think they fall closer in line to what you would call gothabilly, which is kind of like what bands like Ghoul Town are to where that simply means there's a darker implication than just straight up psychobilly um but however you'd like to put whatever uh where you want to put them in they do have a very distinct sound and they actually were one of the first bands to have a psychobilly ish tone to them um at least the first that got real big recognition yeah definitely i mean this is this is the sound I think of when I think of Psychobilly. If you just think about what this album sounds like, um, it doesn't go as far as like later Psychobilly will, but I mean, you, you definitely see the foundations of it here. But I agree with you. I wouldn't necessarily categorize this as what most people think of as Psychobilly. It just has a lot of the same elements. So uh, the neat thing about this is Lux Interior and Poison Ivy, uh, first off, they were married. Um, and unfortunately, uh, Lux has left us. He passed in, I believe it was 2009. I think that's right. Um, and it was very interesting because they had a very interesting dynamic. Um, so let's, let's talk about the dynamic for a minute, because yeah. as always bands like this, you kind of have to understand the visual as well as, as the, uh, what's going on on the record. Um, so Poison Ivy, for those who don't know, and that's, of course, it's not a real name. Her real name was Christy. Uh, she worked in New York as a dominatrix for a while. And I think I remember seeing that they had a, a DS relationship for a while. And then she found out that he could sing. And oh, by the way, uh, everything on this album, all the, uh, all the music mixing, everything, all the playing, the, probably the reason for the cramps for the most part is more about her as much as we'll focus on Lux's vocals. Um, she was the primary guitar player and she actually did a lot more arguably more to contribute to the band than he did not to put not to take any away from him at all because he was part of this group as well also throughout the career they're the only two that really stayed constant 
um, later on at later albums, they actually end up having two guitar player, uh, a third guitar player. At one point they have a bass player. Um, so they kind of go back and forth and it's, it's interesting because each album is a little bit different. Uh, now with that out of the way, um, one of the things to understand is if you ever look videos up on these, on this band, they do a lot of really cool, crazy things on stage. Um, one of the things that Lux was known for is he could, he actually had a very big mouth. So he was able to swallow whole microphone heads into his mouth in the middle of shows. For those of you that have never seen an actual microphone up close, that's a fairly big ball. If you can do that, that just amazes me. Um, so the fact that he could do it was kind of kind of his shtick, if you will. Um, and there'd be times where half the time by the end of the show, he would be either almost completely nude or totally nude as the show went on. It was, of course, part of the whole shtick of him being on some kind of drug and them just having these crazy like early 60s parties of the LSD period which is really the best way I can take to explain it. If you want to imagine the stereotype uh, 60s or late 50s beatnik on all kinds of illegal drugs trying to play music, that is a very good uh, explanation to what you might see being played on stage. Now, all this is done as part of every stage show, which I've always thought was cool. I always thought it was a very interesting take on it because of how they take something that could almost be I shouldn't say family friendly, but if you were to change the lyrics around, could almost be clean cut 60s. But then all of a sudden you add these lyrics and how these people are acting on stage and it completely goes in the opposite direction. Um, also, you can tell these people were very big fans of earlier musicians. Um, I know for certainly Link Ray was a huge inspiration on uh, Poison Ivy and they covered a little, little Willie John song, which is fucking amazing um if you've we'll talk about that when we get to the the tracks i'm sure but that's if you ever listen to the original version of that and then this one they almost sound like two completely different songs which i have a lot of respect for um but at the end of the day this is just a very interesting band they're a very i think a good band um I, i'm not gonna say they're a great band but i think they're very good at what they do I would agree with that and to the stage show element um if you think about a microphone ball in it's uh roughly the size uh actually it's a little bigger than a golf ball not quite the size of a tennis ball unless you have um, a special mic cover on it or something so that's pretty impressive i mean you're talking about something that's probably over an inch in diameter and that doesn't sound like a whole lot but try sticking that in your mouth um also the stage show kind of you can really see the influences because it's kind of like um Iggy Pop without the bleeding or Gigi Allen without the shit and the bleeding. So, um, but also very much in that thing, uh, to your point about the influences, yes, definitely. Johnny Burnett, Link Ray, a lot of those rock and roll rockabilly players from the 50s um, are influenced. Also, I hear some Lou Reed in here as well. I, I would I would agree with that. Um, essentially, uh, when bands like this take on certain personas, if you will, and they appreciate where they came from musically and they go, hey, we're going to take what we like and we're going to put a whole different spin on it. It's almost like if uh, when we talk about covers, how a good cover is going to sound familiar, but still different. Mm -hmm. That's really what they do. Even their original songs, you could you could almost go, hey, that might have been written like 20 possibly even 30 years before this album came out 
but it came out when they wrote it. So it, I think that kind of speaks to just their able to their ability to take in what they hear and make it more modernized, at least in the terms of when their albums came out. Yeah. Um, the other thing that this band kind of did is they mixed the rockabilly scene with the surf rock scene with cheesy horror movies because there's a lot of horror as, as they go on they they do like a they're almost horror punk in a way but not quite and they take like your sleazier you know um nudie magazines from the time period too and they just like shove them all together in one big package and for those of you that aren't ready for this that's your warning go have fun with it because it, honestly this is a cool fucking band i i i, I that's an indication of spoiler alert of what I'm going to say about the band tonight. So, no, I agree with that. I think this is a very cool band. There is something I, I think that there's a lot of, I, in in their own way, let me rephrase it by saying it this way. In their own way, I think that they are as influential as the Misfits. They're just not as well known as the Misfits. And a lot of that has to do with like the catchy logo and Danzig coming going to such popularity and his other endeavors, but. You know, I find this to be, I mean, it's its divergent evolution, right? Because they're doing a lot of the same things the Misfits are. And I'm not saying the Misfits wouldn't have been an influence of these guys, but they're they are pushing it much further into um, Southern blues in a way where if Danzig and the Misfits were going after the Roy Orbison thing, this is going much more Delta bluesy. And part of that is because as much as I like Lux Interior, and I think he has a really interesting sounding vo voice, he is also not the imprator behind the band, nor does he have the vocal ability of a Glenn Danzig. And that was the other thing, is he's, when I say I like this band, I mean just like that, I like this band. I'm not totally in love with this band, but I've always liked listening to them since I was a kid, and I just, it's... It's one of those like I wouldn't put it in my top. I wouldn't put them in my top five bands, but they would easily be in my top ten. Um, and this falls into that trap of someone who is a good vocalist for a certain kind of music versus being a good vocalist. Period. Mm -hmm. And you see a lot of that in no matter what genre you do. There's a lot of. I mean, you take any kind of like R&B artist or pop artist or metal artist, etc. And they might be really good at that one genre of music. When they try to branch out, they suck or they're just not very good. And a lot of times I'll talk to people about how they try to sing. Like, hey, I'll, I'll just say something to the effect of everyone can sing. You just may not be able to sing what, what genre you prefer. And I think that's where people kind of fall into that is they don't quite understand that, hey, you might want to be an R&B singer, but you've got a voice better suited for punk. You might want to be a metal singer, but you really should do more pop because you have a much more, you know, clear voice, et cetera, things like that. And mm -hmm. I think that's where people kind of get lost in the sauce. Uh, the other thing I want to touch on as far as the recording, um, since we're talking about um, the blue, the Delta blues, um, this album was recorded in my home state in Memphis. And I always thought that was pretty badass because while they don't all come out and say it, I think at least in one interview, I've heard both Lux and Ivy say that they were actually very much fans of Elvis. So it was one of those, hey, we want to kind of go down and record in a place where he was from, um, summoning the spirit of Elvis, if you will, um, if you believe in things like that. Sure. No, totally. I, I can definitely see that. 
but yeah, um, that's that's our basic rundown. Um, what also again, it's really cool because you see you don't see many, um, even though it's not really female fronted, um, where ladies are playing guitar. It's usually a guy. Um, so this is cool that you get to see this. That it's actually a woman playing this, and she's better than some guys. And I enjoy that. I enjoy the fact that hey, girls can do this like guys can too. And if you didn't know any better, you wouldn't know that. And that's the fact she's playing a Gretsch guitar is even better. Um, for those of you who don't know much about guitars, Gretsch is kind of they kind of came out in the fifties. They are kind of a hollow body. Um, a lot of psychobilly and rockabilly acts like using them because they give that kind of echoey sound that you hear a lot in this kind of music. Um, so I, I always kind of appreciated that, that the instrumentation went with something uh, very specific. Yeah, it does definitely give it a distinct sound. Uh, if you are familiar with Gretsch, you are probably think of either Chet Atkins, who was probably their most famous um player but i mean that was god like 40s maybe the 30s 40s and 50s when he was doing it um phenomenal player but brian setzer um so again that rockabilly thing or a lot of jazz cats will play gretches because they are either hollow body um, electrics or semi-hollow body though they do make some solid body as well um but yeah it's uh again just kind of fitting right into the vibe and it gives it a because of the way that they interact with feedback being either hollow body or semi-hollow body, it gives a very distinct sound. Now you can get that with some other guitars, of course, but you know, Gretsch is kind of niche, but it just kind of feel uh, adds to the mystique and the sound of the band. And the thing about that too, is you can, you can get a very similar sound on a hard body. Um, when we talked about the cramps, I don't think we ever brought up that uh, people French doesn't, actually play a Gretsch she actually plays a hard body so it's kind of you know you can get that same sound but there's mm -hmm. something about the backdrop there's something about the echoey there's something about um you know there's something about it it's just it's it's hard to explain to people that don't understand the nuances of music but if you listen to a Gretsch played versus a hollow body even if they can kind of get the same or the same tone there is something there that you, your ear can pick up on and I always appreciate when bands can do that because it does add that little bit of push to kind of make it more distinct rather than just like, Hey, I picked up a guitar and I can play this now. Yeah. And I think sometimes these things are, are overplayed a little bit, but I mean, you can tell the difference between a Fender and a Les Paul and a Stratocaster, um, you know, or a Gret or, or anything. There are minor differences that you can tell. It doesn't make the sound. It doesn't do all these other things. If somebody really knows what they're doing or if they know how to set up their guitar, they can make it sound like something else. But if you listen to enough music and it's not just oversaturated with effects, then you can start to notice the differences in these guitars, whether it's their sustain, whether it's the timber of the notes, whatever it is. So if you after this podcast if you go listen to that album just kind of keep that in mind i mean there's there's something about that sound that does come through that really does make you feel older than it is um with that in mind uh i kind of want to talk about the production of this because as much as i love this album it kind of sounds sometimes like they recorded the audio through a potato <laughs> and i hate to say that because again i love all pretty much all the songs on this album i love i love this band um and of course, later on, the production does get better. But for some reason, on on at least the the original recording, it just it it sounds 
you've got to you got to know how to turn your settings up and you have to know what to listen for because sometimes lux's vocals don't come through sometimes the guitar is played too hard um sometimes that's on purpose but i feel like nine times out of ten it, it probably isn't and it's just hey we're starting out and this is our first album and we didn't have a whole lot of money so we just mixed as best we could to get this album out part of that adds to the charm part of that also to me adds to man i really wish they would have gone back and done this and 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 you know re-recorded it um i'm sure with later pressings i don't know what um what been listened to but the version i listened to was an old cd i had when i was a kid and yeah it it i had to i had to kind of mess with my settings on my on my phone and in my car a little bit to to make sure i could actually hear it come through without wearing earphones um i actually listened to a remaster i'm trying to see what it was a 1989 remaster so i'm not sure who did that but it i didn't have the same issues with the production on the remaster cool so it's long as there's a version out there you can listen to i would suggest go do it i would i would even say listen to both because i have this thing about listening to old music that may not be recorded as well there's something in the background noise that might still be lost on mm -hmm. the on the remasters that while the remasters might the sound might be better for the individual instrumentation um there's still something missing so yeah. I, I i would say listen to both if you can um if you can't probably just listen to the remaster and get an idea of it um another thing before we jump into the songs too is if you've heard psychic bully before or this is your first time listening to this band you kind of need to listen to the whole album because the individual tracks themselves kind of build up as the album goes and what i mean by that is they you can listen to an individual song on its own off this album but they kind of you kind of need to listen to the whole album as a whole this is one of these things that i've said in previous podcasts there's listening to an album and then having an experience i'm going to place this into having an experience over listening to an album at least for the first time um of course after that if you want to start picking and choosing you can but it's almost like i feel like you need to take in everything at first before just picking and choosing all right um i am generally listen to the entire album at least once so i don't necessarily disagree with that at all and of course, everyone's gonna have their own opinion about it. I'm, I'm sure. Um, yeah, the, the Cramps are one of these bands. You could, you could probably do that. Pull individual songs off, but each album has. It doesn't have its own theme, but there's something about each album that's always a little bit different that you kind of have to listen to everything, even if it's a song you really don't like. It just kind of fits in. Um, of course, that's assuming you have time to. But uh, right. that's all I have for specifics and production been anything you want to add before you jump into the song listings no i'm ready to jump into the song um well actually one thing that i will say um is that this does a good job and it might be to buzz's point about the way that this was sequenced and put together it does a good job of sounding like you know uh, a late night a uhf or um, cable access you know movie marathon because of the way that they incorporate some covers and everything else. Just the vibe it gives off. Even if the songs are not specifically, you know, about horror movies or anything. I mean, there's a couple, but, you know, it just gives that that whole vibe to it. I thought about something to say before we jump into. Uh, two things to that point. I'm actually glad you brought it up. One, um, I, had, I forgot I was going to mention this. 
to me, and this is just a me thing, and of course everyone's going to be different about this, but to me, this some, this feels like something that if you can take yourself back to the late 80s, early 90s, when we didn't have uh, CD players yet, we didn't we definitely didn't have um, streaming internet services, listening to a song that comes on the radio and going, oh my God, what is that song? And it's two o'clock in the morning and you're on the road somewhere. Um, I would also equate this to what I call the coast to coast phenomenon to where it's like, for some reason, it just fits for like a late at night music or backdrop, if you will. Um, and that's kind of where I feel like as far as my mood goes to, that's what every time I hear this, I'm always like, this is the music I listen to at two o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep. Um, the other thing I want to put out to is, and I've, I've kind of touched on this earlier, um, this time of year specifically, um, and I know Ben, you, you hate this movie, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. Um, when people start going talking about the Rocky Horror Show or the Rocky Horror Picture Show, depending whichever you like, the live version or the the film. The other thing I was going to throw out is if you can imagine that film or that show thrown into this as well, along with the other things, it's that whole mishmash of just like, for some reason, the cramps feel like Halloween without actually being horror based. That's the other kind of thing that I always kind of drew from this band. No, I totally agree with that. And uh, for those who don't know, you know, I am not the biggest fan of Rocky Horror Picture Show. I wouldn't go so far as to say I hate it. I actually think most of the music is really, really good. I just uh, think the fans are a little overzealous usually. It's kind of like, uh, kind of like the fans that say an ICP concert. A little bit, a little bit. Having been to one of those, <laughs> or at least a Violent J concert. Um, but yeah, no, I'm ready to jump into some tracks. Cool. Well, um, I guess I'll go ahead and kick it off. Sure, the first, the first six album or the first six songs on this album, I really enjoyed. I find I found myself playing these more and more, moreover, when I was especially when I was younger. Um, they just stick out to me for some reason. What sticks out the most, and this is in no particular order. Um, Rock on the Moon is just it's it's badass. It's straight up a, it's straight up a rockabilly song. Um, I don't know how else to explain it. Just listen to that song, and that's pretty much like yeah, this is a hillbilly playing rock and roll music during the late fifties, early sixties. That is what that song always speaks to me. And the joke to that is it's a cover, and the original song is actually slower. So, you know, bravo to that for right off the bat doing an awesome cover of this. Um, Garbage Man is probably their most famous song off this particular album. Um, this was, I think, the second cramp song I ever heard. Um, very lyrically, it's it's very much uh, it's very much almost like it's calling out the punk community. Um, and I won't go into that too much tonight. But the very first set of lyrics is, "You ain't no punk, punk. You want to talk about the real junk and." It just goes into that. And if you understand what the word punk actually means versus what it means in music, you can make that correlation because that's essentially what the song is talking about. Um, I was a teenage werewolf. Again, we were talking about the horror influence right there. Um, and of course, Sunglasses After Dark and The Mad Daddy are both just, again, just they stick out in my mind a lot. Um, the rest of them are very good and I, I enjoy everything else. But the last one that sticks out to me for the most is the very last track on this album that is fever and that is the one that was done by uh, little willie john and his version is actually incredibly launched well, incredibly fast it's much faster and there's a lot more there's brass going on in the background which is something enjoyable 
well, if you hear that and then listen to this song, as opposed to where they tend to speed things up, they went backwards and actually slowed it down. Um, I That's one of the songs on here that you actually hear this on. I've, I've heard it in, in multiple movies. The one that sticks out in my mind the most is the first, uh, the first Hangover film um, when they're in the, if you, those of you that have never seen it, when they're they're waking up in a hotel room in Las Vegas and they're all hungover and everything is destroyed and they're playing the song and it fits so well because it's just it's that slow pace like you know something's coming but you're not sure yet. So those are the ones that scout the most to me on this album. I don't have a whole lot to add to that. Um, you know, I, but it's pretty well. I agree. I think the first half, so the tracks one through six of this album are fantastic, and there are some high spots on the later half too. Um, I love I Was a Teenage Werewolf, The Mad Daddy. I think those are both really great. Um, Sunglasses After Dark, I think, is really cool, if not only because of the fact that they kind of take two songs and kind of like combine them into this one, um, which is a Dwight Whitney Pullen song and then uh, some Link Ray interpretation of one of his instrumentals called Ace of Spades. Uh, so I thought that was really, really cool. Well, Fever is a great closer. Uh, I'm cramped. It's also pretty good. So yeah, there's a lot of good on here. I mean, I don't think there's a bad track, and it's really kind of amazing, honestly, that you have 13 tracks in 37 minutes and 53 seconds, and they all have a variety of tempo and don't sound a whole lot alike. I mean, there's stylistic consistency throughout the album. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of times, especially on albums of this length, you know, they're going to be really short tracks and they're going to be at one speed all the way through usually. And they did a good job of airing that up. And this brings me to what I like to call pacing. I usually bring this up and I haven't been talking about that much uh, this season yet, but pacing is a big thing for me. Um, and when the pacing gets messed up, it kind of takes me out of it. The pacing on this was amazing. I'll just say it right now, like it, it, it slowed down where it needed to, it sped up where it needed to. And the fact that it ends with fever after you've had this like drug fueled, you know, crazed rock orgy, if you will, at the very end, it just slows it down. And it tells you, Hey, Hey, this is the last song. Pay attention. And it just, it's a good way to end that in this whole album. No disagreements there. So if you don't have anything else to say, I think I'm ready to grade this. Before we get into, into grading, I want to do, I want to say one thing on a song that's actually not on this album, um, sure. some of their later ones. And the only reason I'm bringing it up is because it is October. Um, as people know, I am a huge horror movie buff. One of my favorite mo horror movies is actually Return of the Living Dead. And for those that have never seen it, or they have seen it, but it's been a while, it's essentially like a, bun a bunch of punk rockers got together and made a zombie movie. Um, why am I saying that? Because that album or that, that movie has a really awesome soundtrack. The cramps are on it and they do a song called surfing dead. You need to go listen to that song because that's, that's like the other one. If like, if they had put that song on this album, this would probably be my, be my favorite album by this band. So honorable mention there for you guys. Right on. Go check that out. Then you want to, want to kick us off. Or you want me to go first this time? No, I'll go first this time. Uh, let's see. So I think that this is a a solid. This is they. This band would not be in my top ten bands of all time, but this is also 
a band that I feel fairly confident that if you put on one of their albums, I'm at least going to enjoy it. If not, I think it's very, very good. I think that this for a debut album is incredibly good. I know that they had like something that came out before this that was like a, a EP or something, but whatever that was, this is incredibly good. A great mix of covers that make sense, both stylistically and thematically, uh, as well as their originals. So I'm going to give this a B plus. And we're going to do my two grades as usual. So to kick it off, let's talk about the musicianship on this album. Um, I would actually give it a very solid A. The only reason I cannot give it a solid A is because of the production on the original one that I listened to. Perhaps if I listened to the remaster first when I was a kid, then that would be different. But I like listening to the albums um, as they came out as best I can. So from a production slash musician standpoint, this is getting an A minus for me. Um, I cannot stress enough how good the musicianship on this is on this album. I cannot stress that enough. As far as how I feel about being a punk album, being a psychobilly, whatever, whatever genre you want to put it into. Um, I'm actually going to give this the same. I'm going to give this a solid A um, because this feels like this feels like a horror. I mean, just that horror band. It feels like an October band to me, and what I mean by that, it feels much like if I were to take, hey, this is the month. It's kind of fall. Maybe you're not too into Halloween. Maybe you're not too into horror music, but you kind of horror movies, but you kind of like it. I would put that here, and I'd say, hey, this is a really good album for this time of year. Um, as is most of their music, I think. Um, so because of that, I feel like it's an A. Also, they kind of give a little bit of a legacy bump for me because this is kind of that... I'm not going to say they started Psychobilly, and I'm certainly not going to say that every Psychobilly band looks to them or likes them, but this was that stepping stone that your modern Psychobilly music comes from. So solid A from that point. Right on, man. So I guess the next question then is what are we going to do next time? There's one question we have to ask before that. Oh, I, I keep forgetting. Would you buy this? And yes, I would. I would say yes, but I already have it. So there we go. Uh, <laughs> I, I would I would say before you I would say listen before you buy on this only because of the type of music that it is. And I know this isn't for everyone, but I would definitely say listen to it online. If you like it, go buy the album. Um, we are never... We're probably never going to get another Cramps album um, since Lux passed. Uh, I don't know that um, Poison Ivy is going to continue to do mu music or not. I know she has her own business doing what, I don't know. Um, but hey, she still gets proceeds from it, so it helps her out. If you like this music at all, hey, it goes to her. So I would say listen before you buy, but if you like it, definitely buy. For sure. For sure. All right, now back to the other question. What are we doing next time? You know, we've we've talked about being damned and we've talked about having some cramps from that. And I, I, I just feel like, you know, we're getting close to Halloween. So th th by the time uh, the, the next recording comes out, it'll be it'll be much, much closer. And it'll probably hopefully a little cooler. Um, and of course, as the days get colder and the nights get longer, um, we all know that certain creatures like to come out at night, uh, certain blood sucking creatures. Um, in fact, you perhaps could say these blood-sucking creatures might all be related because they might be brothers. And what if all these brothers were vampires? And let's say these vampires had a traveling show of sorts. And well, I'm going to leave it at that. That'll be your teaser. Yeah. Indeed, I think that's a pretty good teaser because if you know, you know.
And if you don't know, you'll find out. That's right. Next week on Static Rage.